Yeah, so the reading is Isaiah 27, verses 2 to 6. So, Isaiah chapter 27, verses 2 to 6. In that day, sing a beautiful, fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I am not angry. If only there were briars and fawns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire, or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Thank you, Jimmy. Let's just read verse six again. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Let's pray, shall we? God, we're praying humbly that you'd speak to us today. Lord, that you'd continue to have your way as our hearts are open to you and our ears are ready to hear your voice. Amen. Well, let me just have my welcome again today to Central Church. I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here. And I wonder if you've ever come across the role of script supervisor in a movie. Script supervisor has a very important job. The role of the script supervisor is to ensure continuity, continuity between the shots, continuity between uh, the script, continuity between every aspect of um, the movie production that is happening. And I was wondering whose job this might be when recently I was watching the film Gladiator. And right at the end of the film Gladiator, it's an epic film, there's battles, there's gladiators as the name suggests, there's fights. I saw the main star, after he had died, blink. And I, was, I sort of thought, oh, did I just see that? So I rewound it, and there he was, he's meant to have died, it's very tragic, the music is swelling, and then I saw him blink. And I thought, I wonder whose job it was to ensure that that sort of thing didn't happen. So we just have the slide with the picture on it, Duncan. Um, so here they are, they're on the ground, and he He's in this situation and I saw him blink. So I thought I'd do some research about the film and found that there are some other errors. So if we can have the next slide. So at one stage in the film, a chariot flips and then you can see on the back of it a gas canister. And I'm pretty sure that in Roman times, they didn't have gas canisters and the chariots that they had when the gladiators fought. Okay, let's have the other one. And I didn't see this, but in one of the wide shots that you can see, can you see everyone dressed up? They've got their robes on, they've got the headwear, and then there's a guy in jeans and a t-shirt next to a camera. Now, it is someone's specific job to be attentive to these kind of details. They are the script supervisor, and the script supervisor clearly didn't do their job very well. And you and I are also called to be attentive, not to the details of a script, not to ensure that movies don't have really obvious mistakes in them, but to be attentive to God in our lives. And that's the sermon series we've been going through together, An Attentive Life. What does it mean to be attentive to God's presence, his voice, his heart? And we're gonna consider and continue that theme today as we go through this short passage that we've just had from Isaiah. A passage we might not be particularly um, aware of, it's not necessarily a particularly famous passage, but I just think God has a message for us today about how we're to be attentive to him in what he's done for us and what he's calling us to do as a church and in particular how he's calling us to play our part. And we are gonna think briefly about our money today and our giving. And if this is your first time today, can I just say, 
please feel free just to listen along. There's no compunction, there's no sort of compelling, nothing compelling you today to give or to think about giving, but it's an important part of our fellowship with God. So here's the first thing today. I've got three points to make. The first thing I wanna say is this, is that God forgives sinfulness. God forgives sinfulness. Though all of us have sinned, just like that script supervisor did when he got it wrong, although I don't know if the Lord will condemn him for that. Though all of us have sinned, through Jesus Christ, God offers us forgiveness. He offers us mercy in the Son. And when we come to him faith and repentance, say, Lord, just as we did earlier, I'm sorry, God forgives us. And you can see that from our passage that we've just had. If you've got your Bible, please do have a look or it'll come up on the screen. Look at verse five of chapter 27 of Isaiah. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. Or else, let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. Through Jesus, we can have peace with God. He's our refuge. Remember that song we are singing earlier? My lighthouse, my lighthouse. I think it's a bit of a mixed metaphor, but the whole idea of it is that God is a refuge in a storm. And Jesus is that for us. He's a place of refuge for us. And God, through his prophet Isaiah, said, let the people come to me to have refuge. Let them make peace with me. And it's worth understanding when we read this passage that we've dived into, into Isaiah, what kind of literature we're reading. So this is prophetic literature. When we open the book of Isaiah, this is prophetic literature. As in God speaking through his prophet Isaiah about his, especially what is to come, and the Lord's pronouncements against and for the people of Israel. So if you look at verse two, you can see this kind of uh, aspect of this. Look at verse two. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. So this is Isaiah prophesying, communicating God's heart for the people. And it's like the Lord is saying to Isaiah, in that day, can you see something to come? There is gonna be a day that's coming. And then he says, sing about a fruitful vineyard. So it's almost like this prophecy is happening in song. In that day, there is a day coming, Isaiah, tell them what it's gonna be like. Sing about, declare about, speak about a fruitful vineyard. So this is prophetic literature here. God is speaking to his people. And we see here how God's people are depicted. Look at verse five. Is Isaiah writes, let them come to me. But well, that's interesting. God's just said, sing about a fruitful vineyard. So what's going on? Well, it's the people being depicted as a vineyard. Sing about a fruitful vineyard isn't a place, it's not a location, it's a people. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. Let them, those who make up the vineyard, the Lord says, let them come to me. Now you might remember that Jesus spoke about a vineyard. Do you remember in Matthew 20, he gave a parable about a vineyard. And it's a parable all about the grace and the mercy of God and how God will repay us. So chapter, verse one of chapter 20 of Matthew, come up on the slide, just says this from Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So Jesus picks up on this theme from Isaiah. The kingdom of God, said Jesus, is like a vineyard. And in our little passage from Isaiah, the people of God are depicted like a vineyard. But we don't just see how they're portrayed, we see God's heart for them. So look at verse two and then verse three. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. 
Perhaps this little verse here is just best summed up as, God loves his people. He loves them. I, the Lord, watch over my people. I water them, I provide for them, I nourish them continually. I love my people, I guard them day and night so that nothing can come against them, so that no harm can come against them, so that no one may harm it. Then look at verse 24, uh, verse four, excuse me. I'm not angry, says God through Isaiah. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I'd march against them in battle. I'd set them all on fire. God feels so strongly about his people. I think this image of briars and thorns is imagery of like corruption or deceit. If there's anything in there that isn't representative of me, the Lord says, I'll fight against it. And here's his real heart for them. Look at five, verse five. Let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. Why does the Lord say that? It's because God forgives sinfulness. And this kind of imagery from Isaiah is the kind of imagery that is used again and again across the Old Testament where God would come to his people and say, come to me. If you remain in me, if you're faithful to me, I'll show you my mercy, I'll show you my love, and I'll show you my blessing. And when we come to God, when we take refuge in him, to use this imagery from Isaiah, God forgives us. Even though we've sinned, God forgives. We become at peace with him. And that was God's invite to the people. He says, let them make peace with me. And that, I think, is the most basic message we have as the people of God and as Central Church. What's the message that we have to Bristol, to the world, to our friends? Well, there's so much, isn't there? God's so good. We've got hope for the hopeless. We've got an offer of family for the lonely. We've got an offer of new life for those who feel like they've got no life. We've got an offer of eternal life. But if I think if you distill all of that down, what do we have? What message do we have for a hurting world? Is that God offers us mercy in Jesus. God forgives us when we come to him. Why did Jesus come? And Jesus would say things like, I came to bring you life, and life in all its fullness, amen. But how do we access that life in all its fullness? By receiving forgiveness. That is the most basic message we have, and it is good news. Though we are at war with God, if you like, we're not at peace with him. Just as God said through Isaiah, let them come and make peace with me. As a church, we get to make the same kind of promise and declaration to people. Come, be at peace with God. Take refuge in him, because God forgives sinfulness. And as we think about what does it mean to have an attentive life, I think we need to carry that attentiveness to God's mercy in our own life. You know, just a continual awareness of our need for God, a continual awareness of our sin, the stuff that we do that gets in the way, and a continual awareness that we need God's grace. You need God's grace today just as much as you did when you first met the Lord. You haven't stopped needing it, but God, in his goodness, provides that for you. Just after this sermon, we're gonna sing, Here is Love. I love the song, Here is Love. Let me just read the second verse for you. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide. 
Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. God forgives our sinfulness. But also, God to his people promises fruitfulness. So God forgives sinfulness, but he promises fruitfulness. So he's welcomed his people through Isaiah to come to him, to take refuge. But he also promises something to come. So look at verse two, and then again at verse six. In that day, says the Lord, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Not only are the people portrayed as a vineyard, the sort of quality of the vineyard is portrayed, and it's good, it's abundant. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. This is an image of good things coming forth. What did we do last week? We studied Jesus' command to remain in him. And as part of that, do you remember, we got the sheets, we got the laminated bits of card up and we said, here's the fruits of the Spirit. Do you remember the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. What does it mean to be a fruitful person for God? What does it mean to be a fruitful vineyard? Well, it's when we are displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit, when God's holiness and his character is being displayed through us. So it's a fruitful vineyard that the Lord is calling out here. But this fruitful vineyard is gonna spread. So look at verse six. Not only is a fruitful vineyard being sung about, but it says this, in days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. So when I talk about fruitfulness, there's two things here. There's a fruitful people, as in the fruitful vineyard, and then there's a fruit-filled world. Sing about a fruitful vineyard, says the Lord, but also, in days to come, God's people, that's what is meant by Jacob and Israel, God's people will take root, they will bud and blossom, and what's the promise? They're gonna fill the whole world with fruit. So that goodness that's being displayed in individuals' lives is gonna be a picture of the whole world. And this is a picture of what is to come at the end of all things. After Jesus comes back, and he judges the world. One day he's gonna restore everything. Everything is gonna be made new and the whole earth is gonna be like this fruitful vineyard. The whole earth is gonna be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God's people are gonna take root, they're gonna bear fruit and they're gonna fill the whole world with fruit. Why? Because God promises fruitfulness. Now, this is for us. This is for us today. And there's a now and a not yet aspect to it because can you see that it says, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom. So it's speaking to the people then. Israel and Jacob, these are ways of summing up the people of God, the Jews, that God loves. God was saying to them, come to me, take refuge in me. Why? Because you're gonna bear fruit in the days that come. But we get to be included in that through Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 15? We looked at it last week, it's gonna come up on the screen. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, said Jesus. So this fruitful vineyard begins and it finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes up, you know, he'll have read Isaiah, the Lord will be speaking to him 
And Jesus is like, I'm the vine. You wanna be part of the vineyard? Well, I'm the vine that makes up the vineyard, so remain in me. And this promise is open and it's welcome to all of us. We get to be part of this. When we read this promise to the, to the people of God, Jacob and to Israel, we can read ourselves into it too. And as I said, it has a now and a not yet aspect to it. It is a picture of what's to come. There will be a day when the whole earth is filled with fruit, when the whole earth reflects the glory and splendor and order of heaven, when God's kingdom will come. But until that day comes, we are praying, Lord, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? And we are seeing in part what God promised then. Just think about Colossians 1.6. We're gonna study Colossians as a church later in the year. Paul was writing to the church in Colossae and he's speaking about what God is doing. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So for this church in Colossae that Paul wrote to, he said, you're a fruitful people. Look, you've received the gospel, you've heard it, you've truly understood it. The gospel's bearing fruit in your life, but look, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So the mission of Christ, the mission of the church is to see not just a fruitful people, but a fruit-filled world. And it's been great to uh, complete my first 100 days as vicar here. I'm not an American presidential candidate, you know, who's completed their campaign but I was just thinking about, you know, how long has it been? Someone was asking me, how long have you been here? And I thought, oh yeah, it's three months. That's 100 days. I've completed my first 100 days. Um, and it's been great just to be seeking God and praying about what he has for us. I really want to encourage you to come, if you can, on Wednesday to the prayer meeting. I just think it's so important that together we're seeking the Lord. Please join in with the day of prayer. Please do seek the Lord, but then please do come here in the evening. And at this time, of course, I've joined. That's great, we're joining together. We are thinking about the future. But here's the thing, at the moment, we don't have like the fully formed strategy. You know, if someone were to ask, Tim, what are we gonna do? I can't give you chapter and verse yet. You know, it's gonna be this, this, this. We're gonna run this and God's gonna do this. But I know that God has called us, whatever we do, to be a fruitful people who are seeking a fruit-filled city and world. God wants us to be fruitful. He's calling you personally to bear fruit for him in your own life. This is why we need to be attentive to him. This is why we need to seek him in prayer and say, Lord, what's your will? God calls you to be fruitful. This vineyard is like, it's for us, we're the vineyard. But also, more crucially, our mission is to see a fruit-filled city and world. So even if we don't know how we're gonna do it yet, in one sense, in detail, we know what God's calling us to, and we know what we're playing our part in, which is something much bigger than ourselves, isn't it? God spoke to the people thousands of years ago in Isaiah, and he says the same thing to us today. Not only can you come and take refuge in me, but in the days to come, God's people are gonna take root, they're gonna bear fruit, and they're gonna fill the whole world with fruit. Because God promises fruitfulness. And that's a promise we can rest on. So God forgives sin.
sinfulness, which is our most basic message. God loves you and he offers you forgiveness. God promises us as a church, as God's people, fruitfulness. And also, God desires from us faithfulness. God desires faithfulness. God calls us to be faithful to him. And that's so often, as I said, what we see in the, New, in the Old Testament. We see a picture of it here. Just look again at verse four and five. The Lord says, if only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I'd march against them in battle. I'd set them all on fire. Or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. God desires faithfulness from his people. And what would happen in the Old Testament is that the people would get right with God and then they'd go their own way. And they'd get right with God and they'd go their own way. You know, the Lord would move amazingly. The Lord would deliver them from Egypt. And what do they find themselves doing? Building up that golden calf. Do you remember that story? Turning literally to an idol, turning against what God had said. But God desired then and desires from us now faithfulness. Faithfulness in our personal lives and also in what we do. And I just want to apply this to one particular aspect of our church. And I just want to think about what it means to be faithful in what we give. And if you've ever read the little, there's some little flies in the pots on the tables next to you. And one of them is about what we give. And one of our values is radical generosity. And that's a generosity of our time, our talents, and our treasure, which is excellent because they all begin with T. And it sums up well what God calls us to give, our time, our talents, and today we're just thinking about our treasure. God desires faithfulness from us, doesn't he? With our whole life. That's why we need to repent like we did earlier. We need to say sorry. But also there's a kind of faithfulness that God calls out of us in terms of what we give back, in terms of what he's given us. And it's been so encouraging to me, as I said, to complete my first 100 days and to see the generosity in this church family. It's just so encouraging to me. A kind of personal generosity, but then also a generosity particularly of people's giving. Thank you so much to all of you who give financially to the life of the church. Thank you so much for giving sacrificially. Thank you for giving over many years. It's been great to learn about uh, Malcolm and the, the desire to give away a million to missions, which happened and then it started again. You know, I know that is in the DNA of this church and that's just such an encouraging thing and it's something I'm very grateful for. So thank you so much for all of you who already give. And we're in, when, when on my licensing service, the bishop described me coming as the Tim Jones era. It's not the Tim Jones era, okay? Jesus is the head of the church, it's not me. But we are in a new season and I think it's time to have, just have a renewed focus on our giving. And um, as we think, seek to be a, be a fruitful people who are having a fruit-filled city, the PCC and the leadership here have identified one strategic thing, which is we'd like to grow the staff team. So it's great for Tim and I to work together, but also we'd like to grow the staff team. And in the budget, in a faith-filled kind of way, we have put in one extra full-time staff member. Um, so there's a slide coming up here. Um, thank you so much for all of you give. Our giving in 2023 was £79,000 plus gift aid. And that means uh, that all sorts can happen. 
And we're excited for what's to come. We're excited for things like Alpha running again. We're excited for the mission work that continue. We're excited to be a place that can train ordinands, those who train to be vicars. You know, we're excited to reach our city, to partner with other churches, to see all that could come. But as you can see in the little orange box, there is a faith gap in our giving. And at the moment, we have this deficit of 6,000 pounds for next year. And I just want to put it to us, would you play your part in this fruitful, fruit-filled vision and consider your giving again? Particularly as we think about giving for an extra staff member. Now I worked it out, I think it's 20 people giving an extra 25 pounds a month. 20 people giving an extra 25 pounds a month. And I just want to encourage you to, if you don't already give, please consider giving to this church. And if you already give, please do have a look at your giving. So when I think about my own giving, the, the beauty of a direct debit is that it happens automatically. I can set the amount. It's reliable for the church receiving it, but I can forget about it. The money goes out and I don't think about it. So in some ways, it ends up in a way where it isn't actually necessarily, for me, feels particularly sacrificial because the money's just going out. So what I find it helpful to do is review each year what I'm giving and basically ask, does it hurt? And the Lord asks us to give uh, proportionately. Um, the biblical principle, as you know, is giving tithe, 10%. But we're not under that as a mandate. I can't sit here and say, the Lord commands you to give 10%. It's just a good place to start. Um, are you giving in a way that is planned? Are you thinking about, you know, is it given via um, standing order? Is it given in the most efficient way possible? Thank the Lord for gift aid. That is the government giving money to us. And most crucially, as I bring this up today, are you giving prayerfully and joyfully? When you think about your money and this particular aspect of your discipleship, the Lord loves it when we give hilariously, joyfully, cheerfully. And so perhaps I could say to you, you know, don't, if, if you don't like it, don't give it all. But you know, maybe, you know, sort of caution there, whoa, let's have a conversation about that. But this is something where we can have real joy because we know we're giving away what is from God already and we can give as we give here or to other things into something that is much bigger than ourselves. Yes, we're one church family here and yes, we're seeking God's kingdom come here and God's work among us, but we know that we're part of something much bigger aren't we? And with what God gives individuals, each of us, we can play a part in not just becoming fruit-filled people, but a fruit-filled world, a fruit-filled city. Because after all, our hope isn't in money, is it? It's not in staff teams that are big. It's not in successful outreach programs and all the good things that can come with the church. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus Christ is the one who offers us forgiveness. Jesus Christ is the one who says, if you remain in me, it'll lead to fruitfulness. And Jesus Christ is the one whose example we follow when it comes to our own faithfulness. On the cross, Jesus gave up his life for us on the Mount of Crucifixion, which is what we're going to celebrate as we take communion together in just a moment. And ultimately, all our giving, whether that is our time, whether that is our talents, or our treasure. It's just in response to the one who gave everything for us.
the one who laid down his life so that his people could be fruitful, the one who was cut off so that we could bear fruit, the one who was condemned so that we could receive grace and mercy and joy forever, the one who gave up his life so that we can eternally live with God in that fruit-filled, perfect world that is to come, that we're praying for in part now, but we know is coming one day. So I just wanna ask you today, would you give, and would you give ultimately in response to the one who gave it all for you? Why don't we pray together? Lord, help us. Talking about money and thinking about money is hard. We just confess that before you, God. We've got our own needs, our own families. Pressing things, immediate things. But we just want to be a church, Lord, that's laid everything down before you. And we want to be those who can lay down even our money 